officer. So you're really not even an investor. You're sales and marketing. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out to the marketplace. You're going to, and I'm going to keep this very 30,000 foot view. You're going to go out to the marketplace. You're going to find that ugly house, that house that nobody wants, vacant, distressed, fire damage, whatever it is. You're going to get that property under contract at a discounted rate. So you're not, on the other end of it, you're going to have to put yourself in the shoes of, let's say, a fix and flipper. How would they analyze that deal? You're going to have to get it at a low enough price rate. Hello, hello, hello. The Real Estate Law Podcast back with another episode. Jason Muth here with Straightforward Short-Term Rentals and Pride Away Stays. Attorney broker Rory Gill. Rory, we're speaking about real estate meetups, wholesaling, lots of great topics from a really experienced real estate investor that we have met uh, out West in a much warmer client climate than us today. Yeah, and it's good to have him on. We're going to be talking about somebody who um, has had his hand in a bunch of different um avenues of the real estate world, um, a few different markets, um, and a market different from ours. So I'm very, I'm very much looking forward to today's conversation. Yeah, I really want to get into some wholesaling stuff. You know, we haven't talked about it a ton on this podcast. And I think that the term gets thrown around um, at real estate meetups all the time. And if you're a newbie going to these things, you might just have no idea what that means. You know, I think of Costco and BJ's Wholesale Club, which is probably a similar concept, but it's it's very different than the real estate world. But um, let's welcome the executive director of Azria in Arizona. This is Michael Del Preet. Did I get your title correct? Yes, yes, you did. It's right. perfect. Yes. As and we see Azria on your your step and repeat the background. Um, you know, that mm -hmm. is a community that is is active in Arizona that you are in charge of. You've built this up from the ground up, I believe. We'd love to hear more about uh what it's like working with a community of investors. Um, you know, Arizona's a very different market from us here in the Northeast. Uh want to hear about your journey wholesaling. You did start out here. You're from Connecticut, right? Yes, uh, born and raised in Waterbury, Connecticut, so not too far from you guys. Um, I didn't, you know, I will, I, I've lived there until I was like 18, and then I moved to my, like last year of high school here in Phoenix. So, yeah, I've been now, this is home now, you know, but yeah, no real estate investing out there, but that's where you kind of, uh, you know, that's homes, that's where you're raised. That's where I realized um, I wanted something better than what I saw in Waterbury. So um, I saw that out here and I stayed. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so tell us all about Azria. Let's let's start right there, since you have that in the background. Um, okay. You know, what is that community? Why is it important to you? And you know, tell us about the members and what what people have gotten out of being part of a real estate community such as that. Of course, yeah, Arizona Real Estate Investors Association. That's what it stands for. And as you know, it's like in the background, there's a RIA. There's a RIA in every almost every major city and state across the country. So we're under the umbrella of the NationalRIA.org. So. Um, so we're a licensed association here in Arizona. There's probably one in Massachusetts. There, there is one, you know, everywhere. So if you're wherever you're at, check them out. Um, always start there. That's where the legitimate real estate investors are. The community is where they support you. So here, our mission is to provide networking opportunities, education, support, market information, and government affairs information. So um, anything in the world of real estate investing, we're here to support. So we. As real, we've been uh, here since 2002, so we're on our 22nd year uh, of doing this. So I took over as executive director about three years ago. Uh, I've been a member for 12 years, and I've started teaching about six years ago. So I've just been ingrained in the community since day one. Uh, I leveraged everything it had to offer, 
And it go, goes to show, like, I just, you know, I've been doing it for 14 years and the support of Esri was part of that, like, that, that business, you know? So mm-hmm. definitely recommend checking out Aria. Do, do you see the same faces at each of your meetups? It's both. Yes, you have, you have your veterans, you have your uh, longtime members, right? So it's a mixture. You have your steady people that always come, and then there's always there's a turn rate. There's right people getting the real estate investing. They see the the flashy on the internet. They want to pay their bills next month, and they think they're going to do it by flipping a house. And so there's that that turn rate as well. Yeah, I think it's cyclical. Also, like throughout the year and from year to year, you know, a lot of people maybe mm-hmm. start out start out the the year. You know, we're recording this the beginning part of the year, and this will come out. Um, I believe in February, where people are probably, you know, making a resolution to finally make that change mm-hmm. with their job, their life, their investments. Yep. They want to pop into a real estate community such as that. Um, you know, for for people that are dipping their toe, you know, how do you guys welcome them in? Got it. So we we always recommend going to our main meeting. So we do about 15 events a month. So we have our main meeting where all we have about 200 investors come. We do networking, trade show, and market update. Right. So that exposes you to the community. And then throughout the month, we have what we call subgroups. So smaller groups, anywhere from 10 to 30 people. And they're for every specific strategy. So it's in flipping, landlording, notes, beginners group, women's. So we say, come into the community, go horizontal, check all what real estate has to offer, all the basic one-on-one programs, talk to the subgroup leaders that have been in the business five plus years and are active in our business community today investing get a feel for everything because ultimately we say you have to create your investor identity right you got to understand who you are as you're as an investor are you going to flip are you going to hold what why are you here how does that help you reach your goal so that's our main goal get a taste of everything build your investor identity then go vertical once you know that 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 strategy you want to go forward in mm-hmm Rory, think about the kind of people we've met at local real estate meetups. I keep using the word meetup. I don't think that the ones we've been to are officially under the RIA title, um, but I'm sure that there maybe some of them are. I don't. Do you know? Um, not that I'm aware of. I mean, we've been part of groups that have kind of come and gone, some that have had their heyday and not, but it's always a fun group of a couple of people who are just getting started. And when I mean just getting started, they they don't know any of the acronyms or anything that we're talking about right now. Um, and they're looking um, to do something. And what's been nice to see over the past couple of years is some of those same people that were very much beginners becomes can become successful um, over a couple of years to the point where they, they command a following of people um, that admire what they've done um, and look up to them and their achievements. Um, and then there are the, the mainstays that have been there for a while. Um, but as you're talking about doing things horizontally, I think that's an interesting way to put it. We've seen people who are, in active as real estate agents. I know that's not necessarily real estate investing, but it's one way to get involved in the real estate area. Um, people who are doing wholesaling, people who are doing flippers, people who have their strengths as contractors and people who um, just quietly acquire pr- properties over time. So there's a there's a home for everybody um, in this space. And it's been very supportive of, um, of everybody, including the newbies um, in, in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael, let's talk a little bit about wholesaling, which is one of the many things that you've done in your real estate career, because, you know, going to your website and watching some of your videos and seeing what you have linked up on Instagram, you know, I could tell that you're speaking to people that are new to the wholesaling space and and trying to educate them. Uh, Let's just start with, like, what the heck is wholesaling? I learned about this over a decade ago from Rory back when he had an office share 
and excuse me, somebody in his office was a wholesaler. And I just, I didn't quite exa understand exactly what all that was. And I bet you there's a lot of people that show up at RIA's that this might be something they want to do, but they're afraid to ask what it even is in the first place. So maybe you could tell us. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So uh, wholesaling, you're providing a service to real estate investors. So you're really not even an investor, you're sales and marketing. So what you're going to do is you're going to go out to the marketplace. You're going to, and I'm going to keep this very 30,000 foot view. You're going to go out to the marketplace. You're going to find that ugly house, that house that nobody wants, vacant, distressed, fire damage, whatever it is. You're going to get that property under contract at a discounted rate. So you're not, on the other end of it, you're going to have to put yourself in the shoes of, let's say, a fix and flipper. How would they analyze that deal? You're going to have to get it at a low enough price where a flipper can go in and add value and make it a pretty house. So you, you will get it, let's say, at uh, under contract with the homeowner at $100,000, right? Now you have a, a legal binding contract, and your goal is to go out and find that fix and flipper that will buy it at $110,000. So then once they buy that property, or they agree to buy that property at $110,000, you will assign your rights and your interest in that original purchase contract for $10,000 profit, not commission, to the fix and flipper. The fix and then once you assign that interest, you bring your contracts to the title company. The fix and flipper brings the hundred and ten thousand to the to the title company. Hundred thousand goes to the homeowner. Ten thousand goes to you for providing that that service. So so yeah, you're just you're flipping paper. Ultimately. So you're a market maker essentially. You know, you're out there finding the properties, and then you're finding the people that you can assign it to, and then that person takes the property from that point and does whatever they're going to do with the property. That's where no money, no credit, low risk, all that type of marketing comes about when you're trying to figure out how to learn about it. That's what they mean. It's like, it, it really does cost money. It's more effort and sweat equity, but it costs money for gas, no driving, marketing materials, right? So, uh, but you, what they mean as investing, you don't have to buy the house. Mm -hmm. You don't physically not take the money out of your bank account, go get a loan and figure all that out. I feel like it's a lot of people who are in their 20s who are just starting out in this world that probably don't have the cash to put down on properties. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there's wholesalers that go all the way up the food chain, especially people that have been doing it mm -hmm. for a long time. But w would you say that is kind of the entry point of, of somebody that wants to start in wholesaling? It usually is due to that fact, because a lot of people are, they don't have the money or the resources or the knowledge to go fix a flip, you know, fix a flip's a big risk, right? It's a lot of money, a lot of time. So um, yes, it is a great entry. We talk about lingo and understanding how the business works. I owe it all to wholesaling. I made that transition wholesaler to flipper, to landlord, to short-term rental, to cherry picking anything on the top. Cause now I have, cause I, you have to go out there as a wholesaler and understand how a landlord thinks, understand how a flipper thinks. You got to understand all these strategies. So when you're analyzing your leads come into your, your business, you could say, Hey, the seller won't go that low. They're not that motivated. Well, well can I get them up a little higher? Maybe a landlord will, will buy that property. So you, the more strategy, it, it forced me to think and at different, you know, look at different strategies. Yeah. It's uh, one of my ahead, concerns with uh, wholesaling. When I, I see people kind of come to the, the RIA meetups and they hear the first part of that and saying it's a relatively low capital way to to start um, working in the real estate investment field, but they kind of forget what comes with it. Um, by that, I mean, it takes a lot of 
you know, real intelligence with marketing and sales. And some people don't necessarily have that talent, but they see it as just a way to get into the space without really thinking through whether or not they're the right person for that type of investing. Very true. Going back to the investor identity, like, like I was talking about, um, like, you know, some, sometimes it, this is a business. So let's just scrap real estate investing and all this. Let's go to mindset and business. Like those are the fundamentals to get into this, right? Because they come in, they want to change their life. They're inspired, but they got kids or the new money or they're going to college and it's just extra work on top of your normal life. So some people just aren't made for it, you know, in any business to cut it, to go into that and learn that. So you have to have the right mindset and business attitude to jump in mm-hmm. to this. When, when I'm online in a Facebook group that's related to real estate and people are looking to build their lists up, are those folks wholesalers? Like build their buyer list. I, okay, buyers. So you're in a Facebook group and someone's like, hey, I, I, you know, I got a deal coming up or I have a deal. Mm-hmm. Can I, you know, reach out? Yeah, there's, there's different ways to look at it. You might have a deal. Like in those groups, it's all wholesalers is the way I feel. They're all looking to build their list. So they say they have a deal. Then when you reach out, oh, I don't have it anymore. It's sold. But I got your information. I'll get you. Those are ghost ads, right? There's mm-hmm. that stuff that people do. Or they may really have to deal and be trying to build their list. So yeah, you. those are two parts of your business. You're always marketing the homeowners and you're always building your cash buyers list because most homeowners in single family world only one house. So you're at, you got to keep rotating that and cash buyers go through cycles. I know investors here in Phoenix that do 10 houses a month. I know some do one a year. So mm-hmm. it's a constant evolution of building both of those in your business. And it, it feels very different from the people who are looking to build a list that are syndicators, right? You know, people that have a larger project and they're looking for investors, you know, into that project. Although the, the, the tactic feels similar, like everyone's kind of looking for my information or your information, right? Like get, I want to get, I want you to get on my list so I can send you emails about either, you know, Fix and flip projects if you're a wholesaler or syndication projects if you're one of them. It just kind of feels mm-hmm. like they're all dipping in the same area. Um, let's talk yeah. about people that are the ones building those lists, okay? And you're building your buyer list, right? So you can reach out to people uh, for that side of the marketplace. But the other side of it, where you're looking for distressed properties or looking for any kind of properties, what are some tactics that you have employed over the years um, that are still working today? Oh, this, this thing right here in my hand that no one could hear on the podcast or see in the podcast, but yeah, my phone, like mm-hmm. I, I would say I was never that big PPC, um, Google ad spending $50,000 a month type bullshit. I've been, I've done 30 to 40 deals a year and I would say half of them or just under half would come from my relationships. I was a networker, handshaking, building relationships, adding value to people, hanging out with people, uh, and always following up. So, I would say just networking relationships. Those are going to get you the best deals. Those are going to be the people that are going to tell you getting into a bad deal. Those are going to be people that are going to give you money for those deals. Like, so I was always uh, a networker. So when I first started, you know, 14 years ago, there wasn't what you had today. So it was bandit signs, the little mini billboards. I pay cash for houses. It was in direct mail and network. That was, that was the play. So then over time, it evolved into social media. You know, then in 2017, 18, I, I adapted. I was stuck. Like, I would go to homeowners' houses and there would be a pile of 50 yellow letters and all these appointments. 
And I'm like, man, business is slowing down. Yeah, I've got my network going, but I'm not used to doing what I'm doing. And then people started skip tracing data and cold calling on, on the cloud and on the, on the dialers. So I was like, I didn't want to do it at first because all these guys were like, give me all your leads. And I'm thinking in my head, I got 100,000 mailer addresses. And they're like, give me your 100,000 and I'll skip trace them and you can just call them. And I was being, uh, you know, scared at them. I was like, what do you, what do you want? I, I paid a lot for that. But I had to change my mindset. I had to adapt, gave over all my leads, gave me all the phone numbers. And business just blew up because it was so new at that time. But now it's now that now it's oversaturated. So adapting is key in this business for one in any business. But um I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I so cold calling is still cold call to this day. I still do relationships. Um that's all I do. And let's just define the term skip tracing also. Okay. Just so, yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah, skip tracing. Basically, you can go for us in the wholesale world, you're gonna go get lists that have maybe pain points around them, probate, divorce, tax liens, judgments, liens, foreclosures, all that stuff. Then you get the homeowner's name and property address. Then you run it through a software called Skip Tracing, which can run it depending on the company, five cents to 15 cents per result. And they will give you up to 10 phone numbers that they find and an email address and a possible new mailing address. So now you have, you can get a, a lead in you know, hundred names now you got over maybe a thousand numbers, you know, to contact immediately and just pick up your phone and call and see if they like an offer. Mm -hmm. So that skip tracer that's done all that now has a big lead list of places to call and email. Now, now you got to put the work in, right? And this is where, oh, yeah. you know, I used to be in a sales environment where salespeople, they loved inbound leads, right? But they hate the outbound leads. They ha hate making the phone mm -hmm. calls and the outbound reach. But, you know, can you be a successful wholesaler without doing that? without outbound calling mm -hmm. um yeah of course like it you have to have a you know you got to market yourself this the more outflow you put the more inflow will come back so if you're not putting any outflow in some level you're not going to have people to talk to or leads coming in so can you i know for whatever reason people are scared to death to make these calls right so it's like i don't know you just yes you can't to answer your yeah. question to have other marketing changes it, it, yeah, I mean, like, the, it, it takes a certain person that can be hung up on and yelled at, you know, consistently by people that you're contacting and just continue pushing onward. That's just almost yeah. any sales job, right? I mean, that's a business development job with software sales. You know, back when I, you know, was a digital sales director, I used to get contacted all the time by people. The amount of emails that I ignored by people, I can't even tell you how many, just because you get so many of them and you're like, I've never heard of this company, but we already do kind of what they're saying. Or I'm getting 17 messages about the same exact tactic and I can't even make the decision on it. So why am I going to write back to this person? You know, but if you're doing this, if you're wholesaling and you're out there skip tracing and contacting people and emailing, you know, it, it does become a bit of a numbers game, doesn't it? Like you have to put that quantity out there. You know, you, you get your mm -hmm. list that you think is the qualified list, probate, divorce, whatever. But then you put that quantity out there of outbound calls. You know, maybe you expect to get a certain percentage that's a single digit, you know, that's responding yeah, to you. It, yeah. it, you're, it's beginning lower and lower. But the, see where the thing is, like you said, you get bombarded with all these messages, right? So you have to differentiate yourself and cut through that noise. So once you get that seller on the phone, this is all sales. It's like, how do you build that relationship? How do you stand out amongst the rest? And I will say more than 80% of my deals happen 
three, six, nine months down the road on the follow-up. Mm-hmm. This is uh, real estate investing. These are houses. These are emotional sales for the homeowners. They grew up in these houses. People died in these houses. They're not. You're not going to call and say, "Hey, I'm going to give you." 50 cents on the dollar. Oh, come on over. Something to contract. It's not going to happen. So, right, this is, this is impulse sales. So you got to be able to get your foot in the door. Just under, like a doctor, you're going to diagnose the situation, have a good conversation. Then you prescribe what you offer, and then you follow up, follow up to that time in their life is where when they don't want the house anymore. Mm-hmm. That's how it works. That's the game. So you have all these new people rushing in. They're going to call one, two times and give up. So if you're that person that could stick with it, you'll get the deal. So Rory, let's talk about like a real life situation for me, right? My parents have been in the same house for 50 something years. At what point does that house become a retail sale that we, you know, clean out and make look good and another family moves in? Or at what point does it become a distressed sale where a wholesaler is the one that buys it for, you know, a fraction of the retail price? So th- that's on per- that's a, every depends on the deal. At your family, what's your situation? There, like right, ninety percent, ninety nine percent of people aren't going to sell their house at a discount. You should put it on the market and get the best, you, most money you can, right? So that's the key, right? We're not looking for that situation. So it's up to your family and your personal life situation. So if you guys are in a tight spot, you know a lot of things we deal with is hey. Dad needs has Alzheimer's. Dad, mom, whatever, and we work full time. We got three kids. We can't pay five grand a month to put them in a home or whatever it is. Let's we got to sell the house. The house isn't you can't list the house because it's been neglected for twenty years, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to play your resources and your in the house's condition, and that would ultimately determine how you sell it. Mm-hmm. Rory, what are some legal considerations that people? should think about if they want to get into this wholesaling business? I mean, the first thing I think is a wholesaler needs to understand what they're doing and what their process actually is, because you're going to go through all this effort, all this time today to get these deals. And if you don't have your contracts lined up, custom for your state, your situation, your processes, um, you're going to put yourself in risk or just lose out on the deal in the first place. So understand what the your process is. Are you able to flip it and get a um, assignment fee at the closing? Are you in a situation where you have to do a double close? Do you have to get a bridge loan? Uh, all of those things, understand what your process is going to look like. Some of this is going to vary state to state. Some of this is going to vary based on your own business model, but you want to make sure you have all of those things lined up and under- and really understand um, what the attorneys have prepared for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, great, great points. Can, can I add like, because I know we're, we do, we close deals with title title companies some states are attorney states and on chicago you gotta go through a lawyer to close your deal um and and i think there's about three states right now wholesaling is illegal and a bunch of states are putting disclosures like for the first time last year in august arizona rolled out two disclosure statements that you must have in your contracts and let the seller and buyer know so they're gradually coming and happening throughout the country so also wherever you're at in this world are they virtual uh, wholesaling or in your state, definitely look up uh, the law. Mm-hmm. And I'd also add, um, if you're if you are a licensed real estate agent as well, you have to make sure that it's clear what capacity you're operating in with the person. If you approach them and the person thinks that you're a real estate agent or you hold yourself as a real estate agent, they could start to the government and the authorities can start to look at the transaction as if it's a net listing, which is illegal. And I think in just about every state where a real estate agent takes a commission, um, 
as the difference of the sales price, you know, instead of a percentage of the whole uh, whole thing. That's illegal. That will get you to to lose your license. So you have to be really careful if you also operate as a real estate agent. Uh, Michael, on your website, you have a uh, top 20 Q&As that new wholesalers always ask, downloadable piece. Without going into all 20, what are a couple of those top things that you hear all the time? You know, um, should I get my license? Right. That's always one. Um, you know, I think uh, you don't need it. I never got it. My situation, I had my wife get her license. Right. So she's an agent as well. So it's kind of like a family thing. However, I don't recommend getting your license right away um, because it's two different businesses. Right. So sometimes people are like, hey, I want to, you know, get a couple extra deals over here. And while I'm learning how to wholesale, I like that idea. But you got to stick with something and learn the, the wholesaling business first. Get everything, get all the kinks out, get a couple deals under your belt then transition into because a license can be resourceful right you can get maybe get more credibility going into some deals um you have access to mls all that there are benefits and i i don't think it's a bad thing i just think as a new investor it's the timing because you got to get 90 hours here in arizona plus your study time plus the test taking time and then it has nothing to do with real estate investing so i'd rather you take those 90 hours and write offers and market yourself as a wholesaler and get a deal on their contract versus trying to do, do both at the same time when you're getting started, you get overwhelmed and you quit. Mm -hmm. So we want you to see. It's, and I want to actually ask about one sort of similar business that was bigger in Arizona than it was ever in the Northeast. Um, a few years ago, there was kind of the iBuyer trends where these larger companies would go out and make a similar um, pitch to, to people to sell them without listing it on the open open market, and they, in effect, would become these large corporate wholesalers. Um, my questions for you are, you know, was that, uh, did that compete with your business? Um, and was it difficult to compete against them? Um, and then when these businesses fell on their face, do you have any um, reason or anything to say about why a lot of these businesses failed? Got it. Great. So, so yes, it was once again, adapting, right? Adapting to change. These guys came in, they were paying 80, us, we'd like to pay 70 cents on a dollar, 60 cents on a dollar, right? They are coming in buying 80%. All of a sudden they're at 90%. All of a sudden they're at 100%. So what cool, funny thing is these corporations, hedge funds, iBuyers, they test everything here in Phoenix, right? So when they first started, it worked out really well because I'm locking up houses with homeowners and then um, offer pad, open door, they're like, we'll buy any house. So I, I'm got, I got a contract with a homeowner I'm negotiating, I would go to the iBuyer website, ask them what they would pay for the house. They would tell me what they would pay for the house. It would allow me to give the homeowner a better offer if they wanted more. And then I would then get the property under contract, close on it, which is a different level of assigning. I wouldn't kind of sign, but there's these plays when markets are always changing, these buyers are coming in. Then they caught on to that and they started put, putting deed restrictions, wanted you to own the house for so long once they caught on your flipping so many houses to them. Um, I'm getting at, you have to understand we're in sales as a wholesaler. You got to understand your buyers. So it, it hurt the, the mom and pop fix and flippers and landlords because the, when you're a wholesaler, you're traditionally feeding the local investor. Whereas now you have this company paying 90%, 100%. So they got wiped out. So their eye buyers are getting majority of the good deals because they're overpaying. The wholesaler wants to make that bad check. So it hurt the small guy, but it, you know, the wholesalers were thriving. But it also brought in the frenzy of TikTok, Instagram, I'm getting rich. Look at me, I'm 20, I'm making all this money. Mm -hmm. And now they're offering homeowners practically retail value cash 
when they should be listing it. And then when the high buyer declines that deal or they can't close that deal, now this homeowner's packed up and ready to go and they leave this homeowner stuck. And that gives us a bad rep. So there's a lot of, that was kind of like the negative aspect of it too. So there's a lot there. So there's more I could touch, let me know. Uh, before, <laughs> before we get but, to our final questions, I wanted to ask about AI and how you're using AI in your business today. And what are some, you know, advantages to having it and what are some ways that it's not going to put you out of business you know in the future got it so yes once again adapting right this is all new stuff it's you know it's resourceful it's it's helping our businesses i'm not an expert on ai i do try to stay on top of it the best i can uh, for my business personally um i'm using it to so first educate the dominate right we're all doing this podcast to help others succeed in real estate investing however it also puts us in an authority position where if they want it'll help us grow our business maybe someone listens to this they want to do a deal in arizona they might come by as right so now i might get some deal flows goes into the marketing so um so i think it allows you to make better marketing so me i'm i'm on the i'm a rough around the edges right so when i'm doing emails i i bring up my email I run it through ChatGPT, give it some direction. And if I'm emailing attorney Rory here, you don't want the no punctuation mic texting you. It's going to go through ChatGPT and I'm going to get a nice professional email over to you. But like your marketing, your copy, it's amazing. What it, I wrote a, we're working on some courses. Obviously we oversee and, and direct the, the ChatGPT, but I put a, an hour course together in 10 minutes yesterday and it was legit awesome. So you could do more volume. The other, uh, I put out 32 podcasts uh, last month on Spotify, where I just went to, L uh, uh, I think it's 11labs.com, and I just recorded a 60-second voice. So I had now I had my voice, and then I had my assistant go through and get 32 two-minute episodes on mindset on ChatGPT, and then she had the text run through 11labs, and then I pumped out 32 episodes on a mindset podcast in two days. So it's going to allow you to get, that's just one, you know, I can go, I'll keep going, but that's what I've done so far, just to get more attention, more information out there. Here I'm searching 11 labs. I'm like, I've never heard of this thing. Like, what is this? I have to go check it out. You got to tweak it. You know, it's always a work in progress. Your voice sound might pronounce some things wrong. We got to edit the text here and there, but yeah. it works. There's so many tools these days. I get so yeah. distracted by shiny object syndrome, you know, with the limited time that we all have. And next thing you know, you're down this rabbit hole of like, you know, yet another tool that's in your toolkit. Yep. Um, why don't we get to our final questions that we ask all of our guests uh, and then we'll wrap things up and, and learn where people can learn more about you, Michael. Uh, we ask these of all the guests that are on the podcast. Uh, the first question is, if you could uh, get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? Oh, you know what I know, real estate investing and wholesaling yeah, and life, <laughs> the process, that journey of that experience, the experience of going from where I started to where I am and real estate investing. They're all connected. Uh, that That is one yeah. thing that we hear a lot on this podcast and with the people that we talk about. A lot of folks get into the real estate investing world, not because they studied it in college or because that was the career path that they thought they were going to be when they were in their teenage years. Like it's not the kind of thing that a lot of people know unless your parents are doing it. Um, 
but a lot of people find their way here because they want to make that transition in their lives, whatever that transition is. It could be a family reason. It could be financial. It could be a time reason. It could be a combination of those three things. Um, you know, so I'm glad you threw life in there because it's a lot more than just the nuts yes. of how to do it. Yes. Um, second question we have, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Early in my career, I, a lot of things. So I would say I was in a position where I moved when I moved from Connecticut to Arizona. I used to go to New York City a lot. I remember street teams, there were always record labels, always promoting T-shirts, CDs, whatever it is. So when I came out here, I always wanted to do that. I saw that, right? So um, I I was reading Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, and I did. I just was like I have no, I don't know. My my uncle used to be a foreman at a, a big apartment complex in Connecticut and would drink beer operating heavy machinery. So I thought that was my future. So then I was like, Green Think and Grow Rich. And I was like, there's something better out there. So I saw that the guy that ran that crew in Phoenix and I approached him. And within a month, I was working for five record labels and had the biggest street team in Phoenix. So um, that Think and Grow Rich, just no judgment, no that old school back home, like, oh, it's, you know, that ain't really going to happen you know, um, just did what it said and didn't think about it and applied it and things got, my life changed. Yeah. And then you moved into real estate afterward because you could probably think grow rich much quicker in real estate than as a street team member, despite the fact that you built a number of teams is what it sounds like. I, I came from the radio industry and I can tell you, you are not going to think and grow rich by working on the street team in the radio industry, although it's a good first job. It, yeah, it gets your foot in the door and you, yeah. you just like starting off at a Rio, right? You just go networking, think everyone's a millionaire, you're nervous, you don't want to sound stupid. Same concept, but the more you stick with it, the more you're in it, the more people you meet, the more you try, the more you fail, you keep learning and growing. It's that whole thing. You know, that's the key is the people you meet, you know, because I, I think if you're, you know, kind of down this road in your 20s, in your late 20s, you might have encountered so many people that trust you now, or they know your face, and they might have opportunities where when they're looking for somebody to grow their business, you might be that person, you know, so it's not just the low salary that you're collecting, it's the relationships that when you're 30, you can't just buy those relationships, Right. You've been working on them for a decade, you know, with everything that people in their 20s do. So, you know, I, anyone that is working in kind of a lower paying field that's listening to this, wanting to get out of it, but it's a fun entertainment type related business, you know, realize that your network that you're building, that is really the salary that you should be, you know, thinking about how much money you're earning. That's that's more than the money you're getting, frankly, in my opinion. Man, like if I could dive into that a little bit, like, um, you know, yeah, when you're new at something or you're young and you're, like those relationships. That's why people go to Harvard or these Ivy league schools, like those relationships, like you might not, if you're in a tough spot right now, you're at a place you're starting in a new industry, but you want to be bigger in that industry. Those people that you're working with all want to be big too. Like in the music business, there's a guy I just saw on uh what's that Chris? Um, uh, what's his name? They crack jokes on MTV. They're uh, a ridiculousness. No, no, no. Anyways, a guy that used to come through town, we used to call the Orphan Tour, he would just show up and jump on people's concerts. He's now on TV. There's another guy I was doing street teams with. He's now uh, vice president of Title, the Jay-Z thing. You know what I mean? The people I met at Ezria when I just started, I've bought deals from, you know, I got a deal in what's called Sedona, Arizona on a seller carryback because I knew someone in the community for years. You know what I mean? Like, 
it's hard to see at first, but do business right with integrity. Do what you say you're going to do. Stick with it. And other people with you that are doing the same thing, you'll notice each other. That's a bond you guys have. Uh, there's people in our community I know from 14 years ago that they're not the, all. Not everyone's still in the business, right? As you people come and go. So when you see that person you haven't seen in a couple of years, you guys catch up. You do some deals, raise each other, raise money. It just it goes a long way. It might be hard to see in the beginning, but see what yep. it. Playing the long game. That's what it is. Yeah, it really is hard to see in the, in the beginning. It really is. It is. But yeah. you trust that process, especially day one. Once you commit, once you say, I'm going to go do this, you know, it's hard to say, wow, this is a long game. You want re instant gratification. But, you know, you're right. You set it right there. Work at it. Stick with it. You know, and it'll, you'll eventually see some benefits. Uh, final question. Tell us what you're listening to or watching or reading these days. Anything in the world. Well, the book I'm, I'm doing seven, 75 hard. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that right now. So you got to read 10 pages a day. Andy Frisilla, this is a workout, mental toughness kind of thing. So no, really, I was I, one of the, another book that changed my life was Jack Canfield's Success Principles. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys ever read that. Um, he wrote Chicken Soup for the Soul. But in one of his blurbs and quotes was this guy, Mike Murdoch, who wrote the 58 uh, Principles of Jesus on Leadership. So I just, I'm wrapping that book up right now. And it's powerful. I'm about to read it again. So um, that's what I'm reading. And I'm watching it to be <laughs> totally different. I just watched Griselda on Netflix, uh, the, the cocaine cowboy lady or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's what I just watched, man. So that was pretty good. Yep. <laughs> Got to spread it around. It can't just be business books. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rory, so, any yeah. final thoughts? Rory, final thoughts for Michael? No, I just want to thank you for, um, you know, for joining us and everything and yeah. really breaking down wholesaling. I think that's an often um, misunderstood aspect of the real estate game. Yeah, uh, if check it out. Yeah. And if you're listening and you want to check out Azria, you know, they'll be linked in the webs in our show notes right here. Uh, you can get set up and, and talk to Michael, show up one of the events. If you are a different state and want to learn about your own real estate investment associations, I encourage you to check out Meetup, Facebook, and other places. You will find it easily or reach out to Michael and he could probably direct you to the right spot. Um, and Michael will link up your website and everything in the show notes just so people can reach out if they want to learn more about what you do. Um, awesome. You, Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you. And and if, if you as a listener have enjoyed this uh, podcast, we love five-star reviews. So that's really easy. Just five stars right on uh, iTunes. Um, or on Spotify. We love comments also. Uh, so we read them all and we respond. If you want to be a guest in the podcast, uh, shoot us your information at realestatelawpodcast.com and we will start that conversation. So Michael, Rory, thank you so much. Thanks for another great chat. We really appreciate all your insights today. Uh, and thank you for listening.